0: Babylon's Banksters, Monster Machine, Babylon's Banksters, Monster Machine, you're listening to Babylon's Banksters, Monster Machine, presented by Hakeem Alibokas Alexander on spreaker social podcasting wisdom social audio inc and colin social podcasting presented for world reading club in association with exercisingyourmind.com and unique equilibrium hey what's up artemis see you there and tony how you doing This edition's reading focus comes to you from Babylon's Banksters, The Alchemy of Deep Physics, High Finance, and Ancient Religions. This is part three, entitled The Monsters in the Machine. The opening is a quote. In their drive to advance, the global empire, corporations, banks, and governments, collectively the corporatocracy, use their financial and political muscles to ensure that our schools, business, and media support both the fallacious concept and its corollary. They have brought us to a point where our global culture is a monstrous machine that requires exponentially increasing amounts of fuel and maintenance so much so that in the end, it will have consumed everything in sight and will be left with no choice but to devour itself. John Perkins, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Seven, Sacred Sites and Scalar Temples, The Earth Grid and the Transmutative Medium. Quote, The modern banking system manufactures money out of nothing. The process is perhaps the most astounding piece of sleight of hand that was ever invented. If you want to be slaves of the bankers and pay the cost of your own slavery, then let the banks create money. Lord Josiah Stemp, former director of the Bank of England. Quote, the deep attitude of the global mostly male corporate gang was expressed by David Rockefeller at the June 1991 Bilderberg meeting in Baden Germany or Baden-Baden Germany where he argued for supranational sovereignty of an intellectual elite and world bankers which is surely preferable to the national autodetermination practiced in past centuries." Daniel Estulin, citing David Rockefeller. Continuing, there is little doubt that many ancient temples from Giza to Stonehenge to Teotihuacan, uh, Teotihuacan, Mexico, are aligned to astronomical phenomena or particular stars or constellations. However, It is equally true, as noted in Chapter 4, that many of these temples are aligned, or rather situated, to something else. And that is their peculiar sighting on the surface of the planet Earth herself. Many researchers noting this peculiar placement have been able to demonstrate that these sites, if viewed as a total system, constitute a kind of grid work or imaginary lattice stretched across the face of the globe. Moreover, these structures from the Great Pyramid of Giza to the Pantheon in Athens to the vast and ancient pyramids of Mexico appear to incorporate measures in their dimensions comprising constants of a sacred geometry. Consequently, in order to grasp the intricate relationship of deep physics and deep finance, one must go yet another step further. For if there was, as has been already seen, a deep and ancient connection between the ancient temples, their priesthoods, and astrology on the one hand, and the bullion brokers on the others, and if, as has been argued, this connection evinced a hidden motivation on the part of the latter to know and manipulate the physics this portended, then the alignment of these sites and temples, and indeed, their very dimensions, may form yet another clue and data point to be considered. Indeed, researcher Brian Despero makes some astonishing assertions in this respect. Sacred geometry, which comprised the core teaching of any genuine mystery school of antiquity, was incorporated into the design design of buildings that enabled them to function as resonant cavities which were attuned to the dynamic energies that pervade the cosmos. This is the same energy continuum that was harnessed some 2,000 years later by Nikola Tesla and other scientific pioneers who elected to conduct their research beyond the stultifying confines of academia. The basic tenets of sacred geometry, were taught in ancient mystery schools, in countries as geographically diverse as India, Britain, and Egypt. This strongly suggests that such institutions functions not as individual entities, but rather as a transnational network. Such a suggestion implies that the more esoterically oriented sects operated not as individual religious communities, but were in communication with the mystery schools of other nations. As has been seen, the rise of an international class of bullion brokers closely associated with such temples in ancient times provides a ready mechanism to explain this transnational character of the mystery schools, and may have been instrumental in the dispersion of such ideas. More importantly, however, Desborough clearly alludes to an occulted physics purpose that motivated the incorporation of these geometries into ancient temples, for these were, in his words, designed to function as resonant cavities, or, in a physicist's language, as coupled harmonic oscillators to those dynamic energies that pervade the cosmos. In this last statement, Desborough is correct. For, as has also been seen, the deeper physics suggested by Kozarev and Bohm in the perpetual dynamism of the cosmos with its rotating systems within rotating systems implies that matter itself arises as a gridwork or interference pattern of the waves produced in the physical medium. As such, matter is a natural resonating cavity of such waves and in certain geometrical alignments and dimensions, that resonance can conceivably be made to function more efficiently. Desborough's insight is keen, but unfortunately neither argued nor substantiated. So inevitably the question occurs, is there such a gridwork of sites upon the earth? And do temples in fact evidence a geometry in their vast and their very construction that would enable them to function as such resonators? A. The Modern Rise of Earth-Grid Theories 1. Ivan Sanderson One does not have to read too far into the area of earth-grid theories to find a veritable overgrowth of wild speculations and fanciful ideas. But the actual modern growth of the theory may best be attributed to the scientific research of some Russian chemists and a Western scientist interested in anomalous phenomena, the famous Fortean researcher Ivan Sanderson. Sanderson was, in fact, a professional biologist by academic training and background, but in 1972, he published an article for Saga magazine entitled, The Twelve Devils' Graveyards Around the World. What Sanderson did was to compile a database of Bermuda Triangle-like phenomena of ship and plane disappearances worldwide, and, using modern techniques of communication and geophysical tabulation, plotted these on a map of the globe. These correlated to 12 areas on the globe where magnetic anomalies and other energy phenomena were linked to a full spectrum of strange physical phenomena plotting these strange occurrences on a map yielded 12 regions where such phenomena occurred with a greater statistical occurrence than usual. We have an image here of Ivan Sanderson's map showing the 12 vile vortices. What Sanderson also noted, however, was that some of these areas also included strange megalithic structures. For example, On the map above, in the Pacific Ocean, west of South America, one such triangle incorporates Easter Island, with its well-known and very strange stone carvings of gigantic, stylized human heads. Another, located in the Algerian desert, also was home to megalithic structures. Two, the Russians get into the game you know, while I'm at it, I might as well, uh, push up these, uh, i got to put the link to the book in the section for, uh, calling listeners so you can read along if you want to. I'll continue here. And, uh, while I take a sip of my beverage here, hello, Taylor made Marcianne prophetess Louie Caleb. Brown, Andrew Johnson, Daily Shift, Artemis, hello for stopping through or passing by. What's up, guys? Continuing. Two, the Russians get into the game. Sanderson's findings spurred a veritable flurry of activity, as other researchers, notably the engineer and mathematician Carl Monk quickly noticed that virtually all ancient sites were laid out according to a scheme incorporating some sort of earth grid, including the tenets of sacred geometry and ancient units of measurement, such as the megalithic yard. No less than the Soviet Academy of Sciences became involved in this effort when an article, Is the Earth a Large Crystal?, appeared in its journal, Kimia i Zizin. Chemistry of Life, authored by a trio of very unlikely collaborators. One of them, Nikolai Goncharov, was an historian fascinated by the ancient world and its history. Goncharov plotted on a map of the world all the centers of earliest human culture. Goncharov then met a construction engineer, Vyacheslav Morozov and Valery Makarov, an electronics researcher. Pooling their resources, the trio, following the lead of some Soviet scientists, suggested the Earth actually began as a crystal with angular dimension, that only after millennia of motion and the actions of many forces did the crystal round itself into a ball. Moreover, because of this, hidden beneath the surface of the Earth the edges of that crystalline structure were buried and possibly still faintly visible. Later, researchers Bill Becker and Beth Hagens expanded on the Russian article with their own version. Hagens described her own reaction to the Russian research and its implications as follows I found a picture of the world with a funny lattice work on it. It looked as if someone had put one of Buckminster Fuller's domes over the planet, and the design caught my eye. As I read the accompanying article, I learned that was indeed what had been done. Three Russians, an engineer, a historian, and a linguist, had found that the dome-like geometric pattern could be aligned on the Earth in such a way that the struts of the dome mapped out our geologic features, such as mountain ranges and river systems, and the connecting points for the struts fell at the sites of important ancient civilizations. Hagens and Becker then expanded on the Russian concept and produced the following interesting map, which included, or which indeed looks like some bizarre creation of Buckminster Fuller. So if you guys haven't seen the... um. The uh, Buckminster Fuller uh, Geodesic Dome, there was one, actually it was mentioned in one of the other books I was reading by Robert Kiyosaki um, called uh, The Capitalist Manifesto, and he talks about several times his meeting with Buckminster Fuller. Um, So it's interesting because Buckminster Fuller was also a futurist who was interested in history, in sacred geometry, and also uh, finance and the way that the world economy ran. Uh, The caption for this image here in Babylon's Banksters reads, The original Russian Earth crystal. Flattening the projection and adding Becker's and Hagen's research to it yields their Earth map grid. It is also a very interesting in and of itself. Continuing, the Becker-Hagen's Earth grid map of 1983. Looking at this map carefully discloses some rather interesting features. For one thing, the convergence of several lines in the southern Pacific Ocean west of Latin America is, once again, close to Easter Island and its megalithic stone statues. Yet another line runs due north and south through England, close to the celebrated structure of Stonehenge. Yet another node of convergences occurs in Florida, near the well-known Coral Castle, constructed, no one knows exactly how, by Edward Leeds Skullman. Oh, i got to take a mention about Edward Lee Scalman while I'm also going to put in the uh, the link to you guys who are listening on uh, call-in so you can read the book as well. Cecilia Grace on Wisdom says, I've been there, Coral Castle. Yeah, um, Coral Castle, interestingly enough, I don't know if anybody knows the story of, of Ed Lee Scalman, but supposedly, supposedly and this is... Um, I, I don't remember in which book it was, but I think it was by Jim Mars who wrote the book called Our... Mysterious spaceship moon. Um, he talks about how Lee Skallman used some kind of um, of technology where he, by himself, erected uh, megaliths and obelisks and different types of giant mega st- stone structures, uh, me- weighing uh, you know uh, tens of tons by himself. Um, using some kind of technology in which he moved the different stones around these various different sites. So, I don't remember. I I believe it was the book um, that I read called Our Mysterious Spaceship Earth, or something like that, um, by I think it was Jim. Well, I know Jim Marshall wrote that book, but I do think that's what it is. So, I'm copying this text right now, and I'm putting it on um, for the listeners on Colin, so that This is in the show notes here. So, And then I'm also going to link the wisdom talk uh, to the call-in room so that um, I have uh, backlinking to each other through these different readings here. So I found my call-in. Let's go into the... back into colin and then i will continue with the reading there in just a moment once i add this link wait a minute what the heck just happened there? oh that's funny um, i don't know what just went in there but okay there we go now babylon's banksters okay good i've added both the links they are now in the call-in talk here, so, hopefully that's all good, I don't see my info here, but we will see, oh, one of the ways I can also put it here, is I'll put both of those links in the, uh, show description as well, I don't know why, um, it's, uh, All right. Well, maybe not. Sure. Let's see. Links. Holy cow. Why is that? Yo, it's a, it's a good thing I'm looking at this again because the uh, the links um, didn't save for some reason. And I want to make this. I got to do it now or else I won't be as efficient as possible here. So, let's see. All right. I put the links in there. Let's save. all um, right um, Go. Good, 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 and well, we'll see what happens afterwards. Let us just now continue with this uh, reading. It's going to take me a little bit, I think. Hopefully, not too long. All right. So back to Babylon's banks. So yes, to see your grace. Uh, yeah, the ley lines converge. Yeah, so Luke Gollum was moving around these giant megaliths by himself. So which is pretty interesting. Nobody knows how he did it. But continuing, yet another line runs due north and south through England, close to the celebrated structure of Stonehenge. Yet another node of Convergences occurs in Florida, near the well-known coral castle, constructed no one knows exactly how by Edward Leeds Gallman. Finally, yet another node occurs at almost exactly or almost the exact location of the Giza Plateau in Egypt and lest one think this was the fanciful creation of new-age dabblers and cranks, let it be noted that William Becker was a professor of industrial design at the University of Illinois, while Beth Higgins was a professor of anthropology at the Governor's State University of Illinois. The mention of Buckminster Fuller affords a significant clue into what might be going on with this earth grid system. In a series of unusual experiments, Fuller decided to test what sorts of wave patterns might emerge within spheres when subjected to acoustic stress. That is, when subjected to stress of longitudinal waves. Uh, Hold on for a second. I got to see a grace column in here. Let's see what's going on. Taking a break from. Uh, let me see. I'm gonna one second. Hey, Cecilia, what's up?
1: Hi, I just wanted to quickly. Uh, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing mm-hmm. well. How are you?
1: Good, thanks. I just wanted to quickly uh, tell you the story of that because it's pretty awesome. All right. Uh, how I wound up there at the Cora Castle. So you know Julie from Wisdom. Yeah. Uh, she was on her bike ride last uh, year, to uh, on the uh, in England. Riding the uh, the, the, her, the bike on the ley lines in England, and at the time I was like, "This is right before uh, she was about to go," and I was like, "Julie, what are ley lines?" I have no idea. And she explained it to me, and I was like, "Oh, that's so cool. I wonder where there are ley lines here." I was I was in Florida at the time. I wonder where ley lines can in Florida. And uh, I looked it up, and it was. Uh, in Homestead, Florida, which was really interesting because just a week prior, I had signed up already for a Kriya Yoga initiation in Homestead, Florida. (laughs) So I decided when I was in Homestead or, you know, heading to Homestead that I would have to go to the castle, of course, and uh, I went, like, in the parking lot is where you felt most of, like, the electricity, like, if you put your palms down to the ground, you felt it all really in your hands. But there was something interesting too. There was a gentleman in his family that were like when we were giving being given the tour, he automatically knelt on his knee. He knew this like one spot was an altar. Mm. you know? And yeah. I was like, Oh, this guy, like he's, he's got, he's onto something, you know? So I, I wanted to follow him the whole time and he just disappeared. Him and his family just disappeared. <laughs> it's was amazing. <laughs> I was like, awesome. Oh my
0: gosh. Wow. So yeah, that's my story. I just wanted to share that. I'm surprised. Cool, I'm surprised that I've never been there. I lived in Florida for a long time and I didn't hear about Lee Skullman and his, his, uh, Chris, what was it called? What did I just read? It's called what? Coral Castle, right?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, I've never yeah. been there,
0: but I'm going to have to go check it out now.
1: Yeah, pretty neat. And it just feels good. The the area around everything, like this place, like just it's feels good. It's in Homestead,
0: good. right? Yes, yeah, Homestead, Florida. Yeah.
1: Yep.
0: That's what I read in the book, yeah. I've been it's to interesting too. But, yeah. yeah,
1: see, I've loved Homestead for years, and I don't know why because I never really spent time in Homestead, only through yes. it when I was going back and forth to the right. Keys. And then after, you know, finding out the Leylands Convergent Homestead, I was like, maybe that's mm-hmm. why, you know? Yeah,
0: right. Well, you were it's fortunate to nice. have checked that out. That's awesome. Yeah,
1: pretty neat. So, yeah, <laughs> just wanted to share that story.
0: Thanks. I mm-hmm. appreciate you sharing it with me. Yeah.
1: Alright.
0: All right. Enjoy. All right. Bye. Thank you. All right. So see so your grace just shared her experience of uh the coral castle. It says that she also felt the energy. Let me plug back in my headset here. And uh good, we're back on. So that was pretty awesome. A good having a first hand experience with the Coral Castle in Homestead, Florida, which I only read about. Um Although I did record a song with uh, Robert Woods Ledoux in which we mentioned Homestead in there. I'll share that later. Uh, thanks again, Cecilia Grace for sharing that. And while I'm here taking a break, uh, I want to say hello again to everybody in the room. Hello, Marciane, Paul Chapa, Prophetess Louie, Andrew Johnson, Caleb Brown, uh, Zach Ojo, Monique Duell. John Curie, of course, Cecilia Grace, once again, thanks for joining. Wandering Fool, hello, you'd be very much interested in this because there's a lot of astrology in here. Made Daily Shift, and Artemis Lore, hello. Welcome for stopping by or passing through or sitting for a spell. And uh, continuing here with Babylon's Banksters, Joseph P. Farrell, 2010. This section is The Monsters in the Machine. And continuing, the mention of Buckminster Fuller affords a significant clue into what might be going on with this earth grid system. In a series of unusual experiments, Fuller decided to test what sorts of wave patterns might emerge within spheres when subjected to acoustic stress, that is, when subjected to stress of longitudinal waves. Fuller painted the surfaces of balloons, immersed them in water, and then pulsed the water with sound waves of varying frequencies. Fuller discovered that as the spheres vibrated they set up standing waves on the surfaces of the balloons such that the paint would begin to collect and form lines like grid-like patterns on the surface with this one with this, with this one or excuse me with this one has the conceptual link to the ideas of Kozirev, Bohm, and others for if matter is the result of the interference pattern of such longitudinal waves in the medium, or have some have called them scalar waves, and as such is therefore a natural resonator of them, then it stands to reason that as a resonator, such waves will be perpetually established within any planetary body producing such a grid work. By the way, I have to mention that this idea of that, um, that matter being the result of interference patterns is also part of the work of Paul A. LaViolette, who uh, developed subquantum kinetics, and he talks about the the matter being a result of the interference pattern with what he calls um, the uh, um, I, oh my gosh, it's slipping my mind right now. But in subquantum kinetics, we have um, the different types of interference patterns creating matter. Um, it'll probably come back to me in just a second, but also in those people who somewhat uh, hilariously call themselves uh, Pythagorean Illuminati, who use something also uh, hilariously called ontological mathematics, which I think you could just call it math, right? Um, But they also talk about the use of um, Fourier transforms, which transforms sound waves into into information and from non-physical information back into physical sound waves, and as well as um, using Euler's number and other um, applications of that to uh, cycles based on uh, sine and cosine waves that also demonstrate how physical matter comes into being as interference patterns of waves from being... Uh, completely symmetrical in the unextended or non-physical domain to being um, extended or physical once it becomes asymmetrical or decoupled into the physical domain. Um, and uh, I don't know why I haven't yet recalled Paul Elovitz's work in subquantum kinetics, but I haven't used a lot of um, his work in my thought processes just yet. But it's also the same idea of something that, even though. A lot of people may not study physics, but it's in the mainstream physics, and it's known as string theory. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of that, which is now also known as M-theory, with its uh, 9 to 10 dimensions or whatever, how many there there are now. I think it's 11 or something like that. But getting back to Babylon's Banksters, um, so we have now, we have uh, uh, Buckminster Fuller. So with this... With this, one has the conceptual link to the ideas of Kozirev, Bohm, and others. For if matter is the result of the interference pattern of such longitudinal waves in the medium, or as some have called them scalar waves, and as such is therefore a natural resonator of them, then it stands to reason that as a resonator, such waves will be perpetually established within any planetary body producing such a grid work. Small wonder, then, that Tesla, in his scheme for the beginning of wireless power to any part of the globe, found it necessary to grip the earth such waves resonating with the ever-changing dynamism of the planets themselves would be a virtually inexhaustible supply of energy and small wonder too that jp morgan with his own deep connections to the oil industry and its understanding of energy as a non-renewable closed system of a scarce resource eventually shut tesla down three back to the nazis but lest it be forgotten, the first major world power to show an interest in earth grid theories was not Soviet Russia, but Nazi Germany. Well, okay, that's a little bit inaccurate, right? But he says the first major world power to show an interest in earth grid theories was not Russia, but Nazi Germany. I think that he should more accurately accurately say the first modern major world power, right? Because Nazi Germany is recently, you know, within it's within the last hundred years, so... Of course, we know lots of major world societies around the world, including a lot of the ancient civilizations, which could be very well considered world powers, um, were very much interested in Earth grid theory. So, continuing. Um, But lest it be forgotten, the first major world power to show an interest in Earth grid theories was not Soviet Russia, but Nazi Germany. As detailed in my previous book, The Philosopher's Stone, Himmler's Rasputin, Carl Maria Willigut introduced Himmler to the geomantic ideas of Gunther Kirchhoff, who believed that there was such a world grid of ancient sites laid out on PowerPoints designed to draw energy from the earth itself. Um, B, Dr. Constantin Mayle's paleophysical interpretation of ancient temples as scalar resonators. And remember also how um, some people claim that the authors of the James Bond's books um, was basically hiding information in plain sight or leaking secrets, right? Um, the idea that they're leaked secrets or even just sometimes people dangling in front of our faces can be found once again in the first 20 minutes of the movie Hellboy, where Rasputin right, was uh, opening up a portal into Hell or another dimension and Hellboy came out of it. And also in Captain America, the, win- the first Avenger, you remember that the Red Skull was also searching for the Tesseract and found it um, hidden inside of a wall and a cave, and then also um, that was being kept hidden secret there by, uh, I guess you would say, um, maybe a trust uh, trustee who was uh, kept in, in charge of, of keeping the secret hidden. Over, maybe part of a line of people over the centuries and then it was shown in the winter soldier captain america 2 whereas it showed that hydra had infiltrated all of the um not only shield but other facets of the united states government and it was very explicit in saying that um so some of these things are are You can call them fiction, fantasy, whatever, but as we have here, regardless of whether you agree with the conclusions or not, it's very interesting the research that's being presented here. So continuing. Uh, B, Dr. Constantine Mayall's paleophysical interpretation of ancient temples as scalar resonators. If the conception of matter itself as a template or gridwork of the interference of such longitudinal standing waves in the medium rationalizes is capable of rationalizing the placement of certain ancient temples on the surface of Earth, what about the incorporation of sacred geometry into their very dimensions? One scientist who tackled this problem very directly is German physicist and engineer, Professor Dr. Ing. Konstantin Mayall. Mayall is the author of probably only the only comprehensive and highly mathematical textbook treatment of the production of such scalar or longitudinal waves in the medium. Um, I would argue uh, that um, if you look, if, well, if anybody has read the book, the two books, there's two treaties on electricity and magnetism, um, then you will see that um, also that this was looked at quite some time ago. Um, I've, they were written in the eighteen hundreds, even before uh, Tesla, and um, also before um, uh, Einstein or anybody else was doing such major work into um, into electricity and magnetism. And as a matter of fact, um, as a matter of fact, Einstein um, actually uh, attributes a lot of his um, his uh, his inspiration based off of these treaties on electricity and magnetism, um, and oh, and it's by James Clerk Maxwell. Sorry, he's he's got treaties one and two on the uh, on on electricity and magnetism published around eighteen sixty five, I believe. Let me take a look at that real quick. Um, James Clerk Maxwell treaties on electricity and magnetism. Um, oh cool there's a full full book available on um, well of course because oh it was 1873 so yeah so it's uh a Treatise on Electricity and Magnetism is a two-volume treatise on electromagnetism written by James Clerk Maxwell in 1873. Maxwell was revising the treatise for a second edition when he died in 1879. The revision was completed by William Davidson Niven for publication in 1881. But the interesting thing about James Clerk Maxwell is that um, so, and I'm I'm referring to what he says here that um, so Joseph P. Farrell says here that. Uh, that mile is the author of probably the only comprehensive and highly mathematical textbook treatment of the production of such scalar or longitudinal waves in the medium um, I don't think is also entirely accurate because James Clerk Maxwell at the end of this, his first treatise on electricity and magnetism he very clearly states that he's been looking for a medium right in which propagates the um, the the for, the electromagnetic force and it was exactly in a scalar and longitudinal waves in the medium, which, of course, we now know are photons, which move at the speed of light, because he also found that, that the electromagnetic waves move at the speed of light. And, and they were also um, at 90-degree angles to each other, creating um, a lattice structure and being scalar in, and longitudinal waves as, as well. So just another note if you want to look at that. I know it's a very heady and mathematical book, uh, James Clerk Maxwell, but <clears throat> if anybody's uh, um, into mathematics and or physics, you can find it in there. If not, you can continue to listen to this, and uh, he explains it in more clear language. So continuing. Um, see. So, as I said, it's not entirely accurate for him to say that Mayo, Mayo is the author of probably the only comprehensive and highly mathematical textbook treatment of the production of such scalar or longitudinal waves in the medium. The title of Mayo's book, all 654 pages of it is scalar waves from an extended vortex and field theory to a technical biological and historical use of longitudinal waves for the technically and mathematically minded this book is a thorough introduction to the theory and practice of scalar waves if one can get through the sometimes shaky English translation. Male is a scientist who very deliberately and consciously sets out to reconstruct an underlying physics basis, what I have called paleophysics, in my previous books on ancient history and texts, from ancient myths, texts, and temples. And his program, as outlined in the final pages of his book, is a total one. For example, He reproduces the following table as a summary of his particular way of decoding the ancient temples and mysteries. So ancient temple equals shortwave station. Dedicated to one god equals fixing the frequency. Supreme god Zeus equals range of the shortwave. Father of all gods equals all shortwave bands. Priest representative of the god equals amateur radio operator with license to transmit High priest equals chief intendant. Pontifex Pontifex Maximus, topmost bridge builder, equals chairman of the authority and telegraph offices. Oh wait, pontificus, oh, oracle equals telegraphy receiver. Runes cuneiform writing equals telegraphy symbols. Meter or hexameter equals increase of redundancy. Oracle priest equals telegraphy interpreter. Um, and reception key. Oh, tripod equals reception key. Electro electroacoustical converter. Looking at intestines, rite of sacrificing. Reading of convulsions. Electrooptical converter. Temple books. News notes. Seer who looks into the god world. Amateur radio operator at telegraphy reception. Homer, ancient radio operator. Godology equals high-frequency technology. God name equals RDS station identification. Members of a family of gods equals broadcasting studios of a broadcasting company. Earth radiation equals power supply. Interesting enough, that uh, would be very close to what Tesla thinks, that Earth is actually the power supply. Continuing, homage of a weekday equals time restriction of the operation of the station. Zeus forges thunderbolts equals... Electro, electrostatic blows when a temple is oscillating. Mm. Ritual act equals technical provision for transmission and reception. Cella or marrow of temple, equals tuned cavity. Obelisk equals antenna rod. Continuing, mm. while this table of comparison and decodings might at first glance seem highly implausible, if not downright bizarre, Mail minces no words in the explanatory text accompanying this table. It shall be proven that already in antiquity radio engineering based on scalar waves has been used. The proof starts with a thesis. The temples in antiquity were all short shortwave broadcas- mm. broadcasting stations and energy from the field served as an energy source, so e.g. the earth radiation in the case of temples of terrestrial gods. In the case of the solar god, the radiation of the sun was used, whereas for the temples, which were dedicated to the planetary gods, the neutrino radiation arriving from the planet served as an energy source. Male's program, in other words, is a total one. In terms of the context of the hypothetical scenario in Uh, with which we opened this book in chapter 1, however, it is also an intriguing one. For giving the close association of the ancient bullion brokers with the temples, they, like their modern counterparts, would have need of a vast communications network, one, moreover, like their modern counterparts, that would be faster than those communications available to the common masses. So male's thesis, from one standpoint, fits the needs of the situation perfectly. It is, however, when male turns to a consideration of the sacred geometry in these temples, that his thesis takes on its breathtaking significance. In order to buttress his thesis, male reproduces the diagrams of the floor plans and, in some cases, side views and cutaways of several ancient temples. We do so here in order order to illustrate his thesis and to set his remarks and commentary into their proper context. Male first introduces the floor plan and front view of the Temple of Zeus in Olympia, showing its use of the golden ratio, or phi, which is phi equals 0.61818, and so on. And I'm looking at the diagrams of the temples with phi um, being next to it. He has the cilia length uh, construct. I'm not going to get too much into that. I'll read the caption, which says, The Temple of Zeus at Olympia, with male's calculation of its resonant frequency. Again, those of you listening on call-in, and also later when this gets put out onto uh, Spreaker, these links to the book Babylon's Bankster's um, and uh, other links will be there where you can download the book. If you want to download it now to look at it for yourself, it is on archive.org <clears throat> where you can um, download that. Oh, and I just remembered what Paul E. uh his, his subatomic or sub-quantum particles are called, uh, they're etherons. So he ha- called them etherons that also... Are interference patterns in the medium that become matter. So, as I was talking about that earlier. Okay, so uh, note, Male's calculations of the resonant frequency of the temple on the lower left of his diagram, 5 megahertz. um, On the right, notice how the various dimensions of the temple reflect the harmonics of the width of the temple, with the width being designated by L and the various harmonics of that fundamental being L over 2 and phi. Um, in a kind of stone chamber version of Dewey's organ pipes from Chapter 2. Dewey and Dakin were the guys who uh, had the study of the cycles, the foundation for the study of cycles. Um, uh, This analogy is not as haphazard as it might at first be seen, but in order to appreciate why this is so, more of Male's diagrams need to be examined. The next temple male reproduces is a frontal floor plan and side view of the Temple of Athena, Aaliyah, uh, around 350 B.C. And the caption reads, Temple of Athena, Aaliyah, 350 B.C. Note again that the temple is laid out on redundant harmonic relationships of a fundamental L, representing the width of the temple. Again, with the harmonic phi-L being a prominent feature of the structure. Note also, Males' calculations of the resonant wavelength of the structure being 40 meters, with a transmitter frequency of 7.5 megahertz. He reproduces a similar diagram for the Hera Temple mm. of, Selenut, of, of uh, around from around 460 BC. And we have that image captioned, Hera Temple of Sel- uh, Selenunt around 460 BC, and the Temple of Apollo at Corinth. Apollo Temple at Corinth, similar harmonic relationships are held true for later Roman temples, such as the Temple of Venus at Roma and Roma at Rome, around 136 AD, uh, Temple of Venus at Roma, around 137 AD, and finally, of course, there was the Temple of Temples, the Roman Pantheon itself, the Pantheon in Rome. So, looking carefully at the floor plan of the Pantheon, however, Mayl noticed something that, to his engineer's eye, looked extraordinarily familiar, and a breathtaking confirmation of his thesis that ancient temples may have been deliberately designed as transmitters and receivers of scalar radio waves. Deciding to see if there were other similar floor plans, Mayl went in search of them, and soon found them. One in the floor plan of a temple in the palace of the Emperor Diocletian. And the floor plan of the temple in the palace of the Emperor Diocletian. And yet another example in the floor plan of the temple of Minerva, um, Minerva Medica in Rome, built around 320 AD. Uh, temple of Minerva Medica in Rome, 320 AD. So, what precisely was so amazing about these floor plans of late Roman temples? It was their suspicious resemblance to a modern device, crucial in the operation of radios and radars called a magnetron. And I'm looking at the image of a modern magnetron, which does look very much like those other images I saw before. Again, those of you who want to download uh, Babylon's Banksters, hopefully the link is here in Colin. It will be in Spreaker later on. Um, and uh, But you can also download it from archive.org, Babylon's Banksters by Joseph P. Ferrell. Continuing, a modern magnetron. Mail's commentary accompanying these diagrams is now worth citing, for it shows how strong the case actually is that some of these ancient temples, a good many in fact, may have been covertly designed for the precise purposes of long-range communication, using some very advanced notions of physics. Let's to some extent proceed from the knowledge of textbook physics currently present in high-frequency engineering and give a well-trained engineer the following task, which he should solve systematically and like an engineer. He should build a transmitter with maximum range at minimum transmitting power, thus a classic of optimization doing so the material expenditure doesn't play a role after mature deliberation the engineer will hit upon a hit upon it that only one solution exists he decides on a telegraphy transmitter at the long wave end of the short wave band at f equals 3 megahertz which corresponds to a wavelength of of gamma equals 100 meters and gamma is the wavelength, the symbol for wavelength. There, and I, sh- I should have just read that, where the wavelength equals 100 meters. There, there, less than one watt transmitting power is enough for radio communication once around the earth. And he optimizes further. Next, the engineer remembers that at high frequencies, e.g., for microwave radiators, not cables, but waveguides are used, since these make possible a considerable better degree of effectiveness. In the case of the waveguide, the stray fields are reduced by alignment and concentration of the fields inside of the conductor. In the case of antennas, however, the fields scatter to the outside and cause considerable stray losses. He draws the conclusion that his transmitter, that his transmitter should be built as a tuned cavity and not as an antenna. As a result, the engineer puts a building without windows in the countryside with the enormous dimensions of 50 meters length, the wavelength over or gamma over 2 and 25 meters, um, gamma or wavelength over 4, respectively, and 12.5 millimeters equals wavelength over 8 width. The height MHE calculates according to the golden proportion to increase the scalar wave part. Those approximately are the dimensions of the cella without windows of the Greek temples. For the operation of such a transmitter in antiquity, apparently the noise power of the cosmic radiation was sufficient, which arrived at the earth starting from the sun and the planets. By increasing the floor space also, the collected field energy and transmitting power could be increased, so that also, from the perspective of the power supply, the temple with the largest possible wavelength at the same time promised the largest transmitting power, so at least in antiquity. Our engineer further determines that he will switch the carrier frequency on and off at predetermined clock pulse. Thus he decides for radio telegraphy. The advantage of this technique is a maximum of the increase of the reception range, for that the signals at the transmitter have to be coded at the and at the receiver again deciphered. By means of the encryption of the contents, these are accessible only to the insiders who know the code, prerequisite for the emerging of hermeticism and eventually a question of power. This leads Male to his next bit of evidence, or rather to the next stage of his decoding of the ancient data pointing to the existence of a genuine technology at work, ancient texts. Male, having demonstrated the peculiar transmitter-receiver properties of many ancient temples, then uses the existence of this technology to decipher a baffling mystery concerning ancient texts. Direct evidence is present as well. It can be found in ancient texts, but it is questionable if historical texts concerning ancient radio engineering have been translated correctly. The talk is about oracles, mystery cult, and earth prophecy if the receiver is meant. The predominantly technically uneducated historians attest that the Romans possessed a defective sense of time because their couriers surely could not cover the long ways across the Roman Empire so fast at all. If if they read in the Latin texts, they sent by courier to the emperor in Rome and got for answer. The answer of the emperor namely already arrived at the squad at the latest in the following night the correct translation should read they cabled or they broadcasted to the emperor in rome and he got for answer such a big empire as the roman empire actually only could be resigned by means of an efficient communication cicero coined the word we have conquered the peoples of the earth owing to our broadcasting technology The term broadcasting technology from ignorance is translated with piety. If engineers, however, rework the incorrect translations, then one will discover that numerous texts tell of the broadcasting technology, that thus correspondingly much direct evidence exists concerning the practical use of this technology. For the Roman military transmitters, which formed the backbone of the administration of the empire, the reading off of the information from observations of nature like the bird flight or from felt signals of a geomanter was too unreliable. They read off the information from the rhythm of the convulsions of the intestines of freshly slaughtered animals. In the case of the dead animals on the altar, every extrinsic influence was excluded but the enormous need of slaughter cattle was a disadvantage. Who wanted to have information, first of all, had to bring along an animal, which then was sacrificed to the god, or better say, which was abused as a receiver of a particular transmitter. Thereby the innards served as a biosensor and as a receiver for the news. In other words, an extraordinarily sensitive membrane had to be found to be able to sense and record the very subtle pulses of such transmissions and tel- telegraphy, for they were, by the nature of the case, very weak. Whatever one makes of these speculations of male, he is, however, correct in his basic premise that the design of ancient temples is too coincidentally peculiar to the engineering requirements of transmitting weak radio signals. Nor should the material used to construct such temples be overlooked, for many of them were constructed from limestone, granite, and other crystal-bearing rock, and the ability of crystals in receiving radio signals is common knowledge. But why does he invoke the scalar component in his argument that such temples were, in fact, tuned resonant cavities the key lies with what seems to be the most absurd component of his reconstruction namely the use of the membranes of an animal's intestines to record the pulses for the pulses being received are not ordinary hertzian jump rope waves but the yardstick waves of longitudinal or scalar, scalar waves the argumentation has to be made on mathematical-physical foundation. The, pre-re- the prerequisite for that are the 29 chapters of before. The following points could be demonstrated and derived. One, the wave equation. In homo- in homo- oh gosh. <clears throat> the wave equation. in homogeneous Laplace or Laplace equation describes the sum of two wave parts where, two, every antenna emits both parts. Three, the transverse part, known as electromagnetic wave or Hertzian wave. Four, and the longitudinal part, Tesla radiation, termed scalar wave by the discoverer, better known as antenna noise. Five, the wave equation mathematically describes the connection of both wave parts in general and the conversion of one part into the other, in particular, thus 6, the rolling up and unrolling of waves in field vortices, measurable as noise, and 7, the transition takes place proportionally to the golden proportion as resulted from the derivation. And that's uh, from his book, chapter 29, 7 to 29, 9. We're talking about male's with the last point, the electrotechnical problem becomes a geometrical problem if it concerns the use of scalar waves. The geometry of the antenna is crucial, thereby, the golden proportion provides the necessary direction for the construction. That justifies the assumption that the buildings in antiquity, which were built according to the golden proportion, were technical facilities for scalar waves. Maybe the builders had specifications that had physical reasons and could mathematically be proven. At this place, here result completely new aspects for judging and interpreting buildings, especially from antiquity through the derivation of the golden proportion from the fundamental field equation. If we have understood their way of functioning, then we will be able to learn much from that for our own future and for the future construction of scalar wave devices. As a further prerequisite for the ancient broadcasting technology, enough field energy should be at disposal. We proceed from the assumption that, one, the Earth magnetism and the cosmic neutrino radiation are tightly banding together by the processes into the Earth's core. Two, the Earth's magnetism in antiquity verifiably was approximately a thousand-fold stronger than today, proven by gauging pieces of broken pot. 3. As a consequence, the neutrino radiation in antiquity as well must have been a thousand-fold strong, and 4. The cosmic neutrino radiation has served the transmitting planets of antiquity as an energy carrier. Any thought is absurd to reject the technical function of a temple only because it today can't be reproduced anymore. The artistic and aesthetical viewpoints, which are put into the foreground by art historians because of ignorance about the true function, rather are secondary. And with those rather breathtaking statements, Males' case, the ancient temple as being a broadcast technology based on longitudinal pulses or scalar waves is concluded. However, in view of my own speculative analysis of the earth grid itself as being the result of its natural properties of being a resonator of such standing longitudinal waves, one is inevitably led to the conclusion that both the use of sacred geometry in the construction of such temples and the placement of some of these temples over precise nodal points on the grid work was for the explicit and precise purpose of making these structures as efficient resonating cavities as possible. When one adds to this fact that the resulting template or interference pattern of such longitudinal waves produced by all such resonators, such as the planets, vary with time. According according to their positions relative to each other and to the cosmic, cosmic backdrop of the galaxy, one again finds a physics reason why so many of these very same temples were oriented to astronomical points or events. To put it succinctly, it is beginning to look an awfully lot like that very high and very ancient civilization, having blown itself apart by means of those very same technologies, moved quickly and effectively to preserve as much of that technology as it could in the establishment and propagation of the ancient temples and mystery schools, and moved equally quickly to ensure that its legacy civilizations knew and understood the necessity. If there was to be any kind of civilization at all, for there to be a medium of exchange based upon the creative and productive output of the physical medium itself and of its derived and differentiated creatures, man, Little wonder, too, that those who sought to reconstruct that technology in order to gain mastery and hegemony over their fellow man quickly allied themselves with those temples and mystery schools and began to pervert that physics in a financial and false alchemy that created the exact opposite, negative information in the form of money as debt interest, for by means of that closed system of finance they proposed to reconstruct that open system of physics for themselves to ensure their power and hegemony. For with living organisms, Dr. Mayall himself alluded to, and more importantly, mankind, one arrives at the final component and resonant cavity in this form of energy, human DNA, and its own remarkable, remarkable embodiment of the very same sacred geometries. Huh, interesting that was a lot shorter than i thought it would be this is uh now we're finally arrived at chapter eight called templates genomes and banksters or why do they all seem to marry cousins and end up with colossally stupid kids <laughs> Uh, And there's a quote at the beginning. It says, inbreeding in European royal families has declined slightly in relation to the past. This is likely due to clear scientific evidence of genetic degeneration. Um, And that's from inbreeding from Wikipedia. I'm going to take a look and see how long this is. But um, I think that, first of all, I'll check the time that I've been on here by cross-referencing Colin. Let's take a look. It's already been an hour and five minutes, which is good. So that's a good place to stop for this right here. And then maybe look into... Hello, Betty. How you doing? Welcome. Over and call in Colin. And let me take a look on Wisdom and then shut this down. Hello, Zoe. T-Solo. Caleb Brown. Scott Lee Twiligier, uh, Daryl with the Dashes. Andrew Johnson. Taylor Maid, Nancy Viatoro. B Channel. Chocolate Yoda. Hello. Prophetess Louie. Mojo. Wairamu, Neil Armstrong, uh, Mary Ann, Paul Chapa, Zach Ojo, Monique Duell, John Curry, Cecilia Grace, thanks for calling in again, Wandering Fool, Daily Shift, and Artemis Lore. It is five o'clock, so I may come back with chapter eight. I just have to take a look and see how long it is. But I'm going to end this now here. So you've been listening to Babylon's Bankster's Monster Machine, presented by Hakim Bokas Alexander on... Wisdom Social Audio Inc. and Spreaker Social Podcasting and Call In Social Podcasting presented for World Reading Club in association with ExercisingYourMind.com and Uniquilibrium. This edition's reading focus came to us from Babylon's Banksters. Till next time.